WNBA Nation, hello and welcome to this It's the Final Four Countdown! <laughs> welcome to our Final Four episode of uh, of WNBA Nation. So good to have you here. We've got Logan, we've got Kyle, I'm Steve, we've met. How's it going, friends? You know what I like about this show is like 30 seconds ago, we're like, Steve, you want to host? And you're like, yeah, I can host. And then you just bust that out. I know. <laughs> getting us all jazzed for the final four episode. Like, it felt like, like the moment deal. needed a little Europe. Yeah. It's a, I, you know what? It, every moment needs a little bit of Europe. All right. At my Whoa. funeral, at my Hang funeral, on. I'm hoping Hang y'all, on. I'm hoping y'all play danger on the track. All right. I was, just, I was ready. <laughs> I, I was literally sat here and I said, if this doesn't end with him asking for danger on the track, <laughs> we're not friends again. Danger. Respectfully. Uh, I don't know if Cherokee is, is Cherokee's probably not anymore. Probably not appropriate Um, uh, at my funeral, (laughs) but it is a great song. (laughs) Yeah, and Logan for for your wedding playlist, we'll make sure "Rock the Night" is available. Ooh, baby, when that vital happens. I I don't know. I don't know how to tell you guys this (laughs) in a in a nice way, but not not every moment needs a little bit of Europe. Just so you know, uh, it, it, anyone listening, it's correct. All of our Europe tastes do come from the Hot Rod soundtrack. It sounds like that's pretty much, <laughs> yeah, Hot Rod soundtrack or like their big, their like one giant song that they had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, guys, we're gonna jump into basketball. We obviously have a lot of college basketball to talk about because we now officially have a Final Four set. We're gonna be seeing that uh, toward the end of the week. We're going to have a champion, which we haven't had in two years. People forget. We did get the luxury of that last year, and we're going to have one, and that's pretty darn exciting. We have some interesting Sweet 16 and Elite 8 to look back on and a lot of discussions a lot of people have already been having on social media, so we might hit on those. But I figured, why bury the lead? We've got to hit the main event news first. We need to get right to it. You guys know us here at WNBA Nation. We're hard-hitting. We touch on the issues. And we do not back down. If anything, we double down when we got to say something that needs to be said. And I'm going to direct this to Logan and, of course, also Kyle. But, guys, it's time to talk about WNBA Jersey Gate. Yeah. This is, this is big time. <laughs> Logan and I, right. I think, it, I, uh, at, at the same time, made the exact same note, even. Like, yeah. the same response <laughs> note. Yeah. yeah. 20, se- 20 seconds into that intro, I was like, he's going jerseys. We're going jerseys yes. first. That's aesthetics. That's aesthetics on Xanax, is that tone? Yes. Um. So to jump right into it, of course, the, the basis of this story, for anyone who had not noted this, essentially... um. There had been notions, no official announcements from the league, but notions coming from players and other feedback uh, that there was going to be a rollout of new digs for the teams this year, somewhat in conjunction with the 25th season. But I think also just because it's a new tide turning brand wise for the league. Uh, we weren't sure exactly what that looked like, but there was some rumor that we would be, see, be essentially seeing city style jerseys similar to the MNBA with their city jerseys. And uh, while that announcement was going to be forthcoming in early April and sales were in place, uh, essentially a lot of followers on Twitter found what appeared to be city jerseys on at Dick Sporting Goods. 
And I believe the first one, uh, there was Dallas, there was Minnesota, I believe there was one in New York, and Christina Williams on Twitter, who, who is a definite follow, Christina2334, that's Christina with a KH, uh, on Twitter confirmed, yes, these were the city designs. They were not supposed to be released, but it looks like they were put on the shelves early at Dick's, uh, and it started the WNBA Jersey Gate saga in which people all over the country were randomly finding themselves at their nearest dicks just to see <laughs> if anything was on the shelves, including this weirdo right here who went to his local Layton, Utah dick sporting goods <laughs> to see if a WNBA jersey was put up. And after I sifted through other Real Salt Lake uh, material and bought myself a Utah State polo, I realized that there was not that. But uh, we have seen some reveals. Looks like we have a city look at a Dallas, a city look at a Minnesota. Um, two looks coming out of well, two, uh, two looks coming out of Minnesota and two out of New York. I don't know if anything else has surfaced. If anyone Washington. in our current Twitch chat, yeah, I think Washington. Uh, Washington was that's why I forgot. Yeah, Washington was the very very first one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have a handful of looks. There's obviously a lot of teams that haven't come through. There's been a lot of discussion on this as far as the actual reveal itself and frustrations with leaks and things like that. So there's a lot of notes that we can hit on this. A lot of people probably don't want us to take up the whole episode because they want us to talk actual basketball, and I get that. Uh, but I'm just going to open it straight up. Now, here's the thing is, these re- reveals are going to be official soon. And you guys should know, at least Logan and I are probably playing. I Like, that stream, plan about a, like a four-hour stream. Four-hour stream. We'll have, it's going to uh, be very in-depth. I-, I may not even be on it, and I'll just be like running the... Like the tech, like I'm the thinking, background, like like putting yeah. up the jerseys for you. Like I, I'm thinking of doing like a Steve Kornacki style touchscreen, <laughs> um, just like with all the uniforms and everything. Like it's going to be a big night. That said, I'll open it up to the floor. What's what was the reaction just in general to this whole saga? Because I got to tell you something. As someone who's stupidly and oddly obsessed when it comes to to sports aesthetics, uh, it was heartwarming to have these types of chats when it came to the W. Yeah, I'll keep it short because we're going to have more time to discuss this when we get the full run, uh, the full official release later on. But ultimately, I'm just relieved that they're so different. Um, I was worried. Yes. I was worried they were going to debut city jerseys and have it actually just be like new team logos plastered on the front and not must not 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 a lot of creativity or other design, but just kind of like here the people want, you know, the logo without the the brand underneath it, like the AT&T or Mayo Clinic, whatever. And I thought they were going to kind of half measure it. And instead, um, love it or hate it, every design is super different. Uh, they're incorporating lots of different things into the design that's related to the city. Um, as we said the last time we talked about this, you kind of have to keep in mind that NBA city jerseys are mostly misses. Um, I think oh, yeah. the, I think these are, are no different. I think there's some ones that are going to, hit and ones that are not so good. Um, but I think the leak was intentional. There's no part of me that thinks that uh, the sporting goods stores around the country were like, Ooh, were we not supposed to like Nike does this every time they rebrand, they release a couple of them. They give you a taste to get people talking. Um, I would be shocked if any of the four jerseys currently out are in like the top three or four looks. I think they're reserving yeah. Vegas, we're hearing hype for Seattle. We know that they're going to incorporate some of their new branding into it. The Sparks will be doing something cool. So I, I think they're holding back on all the really exciting ones, uh, but they just wanted people to know, like, these are worth getting excited for. 
Uh, if you've got if you've got the budget for it, this might be the year to spring for a, a specialty jersey. Um, overall, I think they're good. There's been a lot of complaining already about like I don't like this design element and whatever. But I just like that they're willing to go there. Like yeah. they're they're yeah. trying stuff. The, the the Mystics one has like text all around, some weird shapes and uh, like an orange red color. And the the Liberty one has equality on the front instead of Liberty on the surf green one and. The Dallas one is obviously like wildly different than the Dallas typical look. And I know a lot of people don't like that one, but like, I'm just relieved. Like they kicked yeah. the corporate sponsorships onto the back. They, they made it a full, like we're going to actually design it without any like branding in the way. And hopefully the, that's where the sponsorships stay after this becomes the norm. Um, so I'm not going to look the gift horse in the mouth. I'm just excited that we're getting these. I'll, I'll talk about the quality of them when we get all 12. I, I, yeah, I think design wise, we'll, we'll be deep diving these pretty heavily when they happen. There are a couple that like, I know Dallas's look got slammed a bit, but I feel like that one actually is going to end up looking solid once it's on the court. Yeah. And I, and I, I get the significance of it too, which I think will stand out. I don't know yet how I feel about New York's, especially their black one, because it just feels, it looks like it is dandruff. So I'm not sure about that one yet. Um, but the equality one, the, the seafoam one is growing on me fast. Um, the one that weirdly got me excited. And I think when I sent it to you, Logan, you were just as excited was Minnesota's because it looks like a Jersey. There's something about it. That's like just to see Minnesota across the chest and a number like that's just a real basketball Jersey. And I would want to buy that as a Lynx fan as, as opposed to the former templated jerseys, which what I've been saying in the past, look more like a fun run t-shirt. Than an actual jersey because it's just logos on top of logos. So to actually see something that really lives and breathes like that, Washington's felt that way. And to be honest, I've been screaming for a Mystics rebrand for a long time because their branded font, I think, just needs work, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, just to see Washington on it, just it, it, I liked the succinct look of it. Yeah. It looks solid. Um, I think we have some good stuff, but I, I agree with you on this. And I think some people have made the, the frustration of like the leak. It sucks and maybe it, it takes some of the, the air out of like a secret reveal. And I do get that. That said, for anyone who wants to try and make a comparison of like, oh, I don't know if this would happen in, in the MNBA. They totally like this is very much. Yeah, it happens every year. It's, it's in Nike's. This is in Nike's branding playbook is like we leak it, see how they're feeling and what they're doing. I think and I think it does make some sense. And I am not a pro Nike guy, so I'm not trying to boost them up when I say this. I think they do this leak to get WNBA fans excited that they're seeing something different. And then when the leak happens, WNBA fans could be excited because they're going to see some really good designs. And right. the if 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 the the aces look lives up to even a fraction of the hype we're seeing. I'm I'm getting nervous that the Vegas hype is getting it, it's getting to the point where it's not going to live up to what everyone wants it to be. Does Shields has been very high on the Chicago look, saying that it's definitely top three in the league. Yeah, and so there's a lot of people excited. I think the Sparks need one desperately to compensate for what was, in my opinion, a, a fairly fizzle of a logo reveal. Yeah, big step um, back. Yeah, it, I mean, they had one of the cooler logos in bas- in all of basketball, and I just, I mean. It's a, their new rebrand's phenomenal if they're a credit union. Great credit union reveal, which big ups to Jason, our producer, who recently has been drawing <laughs> up some random parody designs of, of boring businesses with WNBA logos. And some of them are very funny. <laughs> we'll be tweeting those out. 
We'll be tweeting those out soon. Those, those are funnier than than you'd think. That will be a full once once we get all of them done. I'll be tweeting out a full like thread of all of those that Jason's made. Abs- yeah. Did yeah. Kyle? Did we get your uh, your full? T- did, was there any that you loved or hated in these first four? Um. Yeah. So I. Yeah. The the one that I actually think a lot of people were pretty down on that I think is kind of cool. I I don't mind Dallas's. I actually, I, really I actually, either. I was pretty, I was pretty high on the Dallas one. I know a lot of people weren't big fans of it and they said that that was the biggest miss, but I actually thought it was pretty sweet. And I, if I were to buy any of the ones that we've seen right now, I'm probably buying that Dallas one. Like of, of the ones that are available, I'm probably buying Dallas. I also have committed to buying some Washington Mystics merch and I'm terrified too for the reasons that, uh, Steve just mentioned that I think they're due for a rebrand and uh, they haven't yet, which is really surprising to me knowing all these other teams have. And so I'm afraid to buy Washington mystics merch thinking it'll be rebranded within the year. <sighs> that, and so that I, red top it, is going to look solid. Yeah. I, I think that rebel look, I think is what they're calling it is going to look solid. The weirdest thing about that one is the star super plays. Yeah. Uh, at the neck, it adds to it. Yeah. Um, this adds to, which by the way, that mystics adds to another discussion, but I cut you off, Kyle. Yeah. No, you're good. Just, yeah, that, that, that was my big, biggest takeaway. I hope this opens the door. I want mm-hmm. NBA and WNBA branding to like be so strong that when you change the channel and you're watching two teams play, you instantly know what teams they are. And I think yes. for a long time, mm-hmm. Nike has gotten away from that. And it's, it's, deteriorated so far that like now you change the channel and you like, not that it's inconvenient to look in the score bug in the corner and find out who's playing, but I want the look of the team to be consistent. Like I want it to be strong and, and not just like, here's, uh, I don't know. I don't need eight different looks over the course of two years for my NBA team. So like I want these WNBA looks to land and then hopefully like the, if the Minnesota Jersey isn't the city one, if it ends up just being like, the every night jersey. I think I think it is like maybe a new primary Could, jersey of theirs. That would be incredible. Like I love I've got a, a Bree Stewart one from our Seattle trip and I've got our, our personalized Phoenix one from the Phoenix trip that they gave us, right. which is super nice of the Mercury to do. Um and I, I would be I would be so thrilled to go like to spend money on a different Seattle and a different Mercury jersey if they just released primary jerseys that looked more this is the team. Like it's not a, it's just not just the colors for the city. It's not a template, but it's like, I don't know. I'd be very excited to do that. Yeah. Um, just to hit like Jersey takes from what we've seen. I actually, I think the Dallas one's going to look strong on the court. Yes. And once the significance of it is announced to why they do it, the Washington rise one right now is a pretty hard miss design wise. That said, I'm curious what the actual story is with it. Like, what it's indicative of because that might change my feelings on it but as far as like standard looks like logan's talking about the equality one weirdly is the one that is most seems like like that's one that i could see an mnba team like rolling out with and working really strong that actually is a very strong look and it has a good stance but it's also they play the seafoam well i don't understand the gold it's it's got to be it's got to be copper, it's right? It's copper, I think, that's... Is, yeah, is that copper oh, for, the, okay. for the Statue of okay. Liberty. I guess I just didn't note that in any of the real branding, so it came out of nowhere. But I, yeah. I, I, it, it that makes sense. Yeah, it took a minute to get there. That but. makes sense. Well, in the in the first couple... Yeah, when you look at the picture, it looks kind of gold, but 
I think, yeah, I think that it's copper from what, yeah, yeah, which I, yeah, it makes sense, but it's a solid look. My question, my quiz question for everyone when we do this, maybe we'll give everyone a form and they can fill it out. Uh, assuming every team has roughly three colors in their brand structure when they roll out these new jerseys, what is Nike naming all the colors? Right? Oh, don't, <laughs> don't open that door. We, we got college games to talk about. We, we can't go down that road. Like this, this off gray black from the dandruff on New York's like, you know, that's not going to be. Like gray, it's gonna be bridge because it's Brooklyn Bridge, and then like <laughs> no, it it's gonna be like stardust, like it's gonna yeah, be- <laughs> you know exactly. Like so, I'm interested to hear what everyone thinks the mm. colors will be called. The last thing that I'm gonna hit is probably something that uh became a lead pretty quick on this, which is when the Washington jerseys were released. Uh, it became clear that Nike misspelled Elena Deladon's name in that they hyphenated, hyphenated the last name as if that yeah. was a married name names. and yeah. not her name. Now, <laughs> I know to a lot of people this does seem like a small, insignificant thing. That said, my one take on the matter is there is no current league where Nike gets one of the top five biggest stars' names wrong. Yeah. That's yeah. flat out. No one is misspelling... I don't even know. Like, Atenacupo is the only one that would come close, and they probably get that right every time, right? Like, it's... I sent you guys a message when these first came out, and I was like, is this thing people care about? Like, oh, like, they they entered a hyphen, and it's not a hyphen. Because I was like, first, easily fixable. And second, people were talking like it was disrespectful that they didn't pay attention to the league. It's like, Deladon is a Nike athlete. Like, she's in every footlocker you ever go to. Like, they, they love her. This is just what they do to, like, every baseball player... And many football players, usually they get NBA players correct. But if you're a baseball fan, you've seen this, like, you've seen in-games players <laughs> wear names that were wrong on their own jerseys before. Like, this is a pretty standard. It, there was, not, the, not to say that we shouldn't be, have higher standards, but this is a pretty common Do you thing. remember, do you remember the, the big news? It was a, a few World Cups ago. I want to say it was like two World Cups ago for the men's national team. Uh, Chris Wondolowski, they put an extra W in the middle of his name. They made it Wondolowski. And, uh, so, but the thing is, is they didn't have time to reprint. So he played the game with his name misspelled on the back and he had like two goals. Like he had like a phenomenal game. So when they brought him his new jersey with his name spelled correctly on the back, he took the W, the extra W, and like taped it on the inside of the jersey. Like, uh, so his name was spelled correctly for everybody to see, but he had the extra W like on the inside it. of the back of his jersey because yeah. he yeah. was like, he's like, this this did well for me last time. So now I will say the difference from my purview there is those are stories of players with those, which probably means they had equipment personnel who fouled up in printing their jersey. It's a, right. to me, it is a different story. When it's a mass-produced product, I yeah. know it's going out to several people. Exactly. And my assumption here is someone's autocorrect just threw in the hyphen yep. based on the name that they input, and they just didn't notice it. I just get that sense of, like, I feel like when you're doing these types of things, you make sure that your top, like, your top five stars, your elite-level stars yeah. are at least correct. Those are the ones that are going out, and I think that's a case where I just – that's where it's a little annoying and frustrating and, and it, and it's coming from the players. Yes. I, I don't think it's the most intense thing possible. Nike's put out a statement. It sounds like there, that'll be remedied, but it is. And also these early releases, these leak releases are also prototype pieces, right? So that's, that's the other, this, thing. this will yeah. have more of a reach. And I think by the time that happens, you will see 
things taken care of correctly. Uh, but I think while I wasn't as put off, I do understand where people's put offness is on this. I will say the frustration of, oh, but they wouldn't do this. They, they do. Like, leaks are very much a part of this structure. And, um, there's a reason you're seeing the four teams you're seeing and not some of the other teams. As a matter I, of fact, people, people with inside sources have been saying like, no, we, I have it on. It's been fun to listen to these, these WNBA and women's basketball reporters who work so hard to get headlines, who finally get to have a tweet like, no, I have it confirmed by source on good authority that the aces and sky jerseys look really good. And I'm excited <laughs> that like we finally get to have that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. discussion. The, the thing that's, uh, and we'll move off this next. We got games to talk about, but, um, I would love to snag one of those misprint Deladon jerseys. Cause like gear, oh, yeah. like sports merch like that, like baseball cards and, and like if now especially now if it's she the Boba wore Fett one, thing. Yeah. If, yeah, if she ever wore one on the court with the hyphen for some reason, I don't think she'd ever do that. But like suddenly it becomes legend, and it's like oh, like no, there were only a hundred. What she's got to do, what she's got to do like the the Joe Burrow style thing where she has a jersey that just says hyphen on the back, <laughs> <laughs> like her name is just H Y P H E N, and like that becomes the thing. And and then or like it's similar to the Wondolowski thing where like if she plays really well in one and then they fix it, she has to like put like trainers tape hyphen <laughs> on, on the jersey yeah. or something. It's like <laughs> yeah, the rip the rip Hamilton mask or something like that. Um we had enough jersey talk and heaven knows when this release does come out, we're gonna have more. And if that's not something that interests you, come anyway. I think it'll be fun. Uh but it is definitely happening. Now let's dive into things we officially have a final four. We have our first final four in two years because we didn't get to have one last Yay! year. Um, we had a weekend full of exciting basketball. And I think we have a final four that generally not a lot of people may have fully expected. I would probably say two of the teams, most definitely one team. A lot of people could see the other <laughs> team. I just feel like you might be lying to me or you live close to the Tucson area. If you had them picked and that's no disrespect to Arizona, but we've got UConn and Arizona facing on one side. We've got Stanford and South Carolina on the other side. We had a weekend chock full of interesting basketball. I can't think off the top of my head because it's the end of the night where I want to start. So I'm going to give that to you guys. How are we feeling about this final four? How are we feeling coming out of sweet 16 weekend? It's been bonkers. Yeah. I, I mean, we've got a one, 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 three. Uh, are, right. are the seedings uh, in terms of how they broke down. UConn did escape what we thought was the toughest region uh, in a game that we'll get into in a minute. The big surprise is probably Arizona. Uh, they're the three seed. They got over uh, NC State and Texas A&M. We did have a question in the chat that might help us launch this discussion, which is what, uh, which upset you thought was more surprising, uh, NC State losing to Indiana in the Sweet 16 or Arizona toppling Texas A&M by uh, 15. Um, for me, it's Arizona just because I, I had NC State losing before the final four anyway. And Texas A&M looked like they were maybe getting their act together after surviving a couple other close calls. But I'm interested in how you guys feel about that. Do you have a, a thought on that either way? That's 100%. I, yeah. I think, um, in the moment I had Texas and A&M going really far. Um, so if, if you're talking before the bracket, I would say that was the bigger upset for me, but because of how Texas A&M had played in the previous two games, like I wasn't as surprised that they dropped the game to, you know, that they dropped that game to Arizona because 
Arizona looked strong and Texas A&M looked not great in the tournament at that point. And Indiana, I thought looked really good, but I didn't think that they, that they were going to take down, you know, NC state who appeared to be, you know, playing pretty well in the tournament. So I think beginning of the, of the tournament, you know, pre, pre everything. Yeah. The, the Texas A&M loss was more surprising, but I think in the moment how both teams had played in the first two rounds, I was probably a little bit more surprised at the at the NC State uh, upset. Um, but yeah, obviously, that ended up being a really competitive... Um, well, actually, yeah, there was two, uh, two of the regions that became really, really competitive, and that's one of them. Um, and it's not surprising that we had a three seed come out of that uh, come out of that region. Um, Logan, I know especially was super high on Arizona coming into the tournament. And so kind of, I want to shout that out because Logan mentioned them as kind of a, a potential, you know, upset pick and someone that to watch for heading into the tournament when we did our first initial bracket breakdown. Um, and here they are in the final four. So that's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. If only I'd listened to my own advice, my bracket might not be completely uh, shattered at this point in time. <laughs> uh, I I don't know how you guys want to break this down. I feel like every one of the four final, uh, or excuse me, Elite Eight games uh, that we just experienced are worth talking about. We actually were going to record this episode a couple days ago, and we were like, guys, there's yeah. games today. Like, they're playing, like, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight rounds. They're playing right now. So we decided to wait. Uh, we can go in order, I guess, of, like escalating amounts of how much they might make Steve mad. Uh, because I know there's one or two <laughs> that we're going to want to spend more why time you gotta, on. Why you gotta be like that, bro? <laughs> well, I, I actually have, I have some, uh, I have some takes on a couple of these too, but I figure we can at least start with probably the least eventful, uh, which, which happened earlier today, which I think was South Carolina versus Texas. Uh, Oof. I say not after that. We're start with UConn Baylor. Let's get this out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't want to talk about Texas? <laughs> I do. I, I do want to talk about Texas. Trust me. We have we have 34 solid seconds ready for Texas later. We have as many seconds as they had points later. Um, they actually had a really good tournament until tonight. But, uh, well, that might be debatable, actually. Um, that said, I, I obviously UConn Baylor is one of the bigger – or UConn in general is probably one of the bigger stories coming out of this weekend, given that we got to have the classic – Caitlin Clark, uh, Paige Becker's night that ended up actually being about like four other UConn players, really. Right. Um, but it was still a pretty cool, pretty cool night and, uh, you know, fun to watch what those two did on a cool stage. The viewership definitely showed the importance of, of that event. And then that led directly into a UConn Baylor game, which I think 99% of it was extremely phenomenal. Maybe 98% of it. One of the poor percents being, of course, Dee Richards and hoping she gets healthy. And then there seemed to be a moment toward the end that a lot of people may not have been fond of, especially <laughs> if you're not a Husky fan. Um, and it, I have a lot of takes about it. And like, I think I was frustrated last night, but I've had like a day to cool off on things before we get into any discussion on, was it a foul? Was it not whatever it is? I, I'm not a Baylor fan and I'm not a Yukon hater. I want that made very clear. Um, because my, my frustrations don't lie from who won and who lost. I think it's just indicative to some takes people have had about it are kind of an overscore as to what I think are big repairs that need to be made in the game of basketball in general. But I mean, 
yo, why didn't Carrington get her free throws? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's tough to boil this game down to just to just a couple seconds of, of takes because there's so much that happened. My impression of the game, like like you said, 98% of it was a great game. My impression of the game was it was an intense game with constant tension start to finish. So much so that I had friends. Yeah. My my buddy Tommy Sorensen texted me at the end of the first quarter and said, this is the best basketball I've watched this month. And I was like, that like, I don't need you to tell me. Like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm watching, you know, it, it had, everybody always says playoff atmosphere. That was that. Like, you... There's just an intensity where every play matters from from the opening tip off that was there. To me, what mm-hmm. kept it from being an all timer was the fact that we didn't get a cathartic ending. And I'm not just saying that we should have gotten free throws or a buzzer beater. That's not the only great way a game can end. But like leading up to, I mean, the DD injury overshadows a lot, right? That that was the turning point of the game. I don't think anyone would argue that, no matter your affiliation. Um, I also am not for or against Baylor or UConn for any reason other than I had Bacon or Baylor winning my Bacon. bracket. Bacon. I had <laughs> That's Bacon how you cover your bases there, Logan. Uh, but I think that's but what really, Eric I, Foreman calls Bacon in that '70s show. Bacon. Oh, <laughs> but I, I really like. I, I was enjoying watching a good game. Even the the 19-0 run that UConn went on, like you had to feel sick for Baylor because it was right when when Dee Dee pulled up, and it felt like they were kind of seizing the emotional. You know, I don't think UConn was going to come back from that until she was off the floor and UConn smelled blood in the water. That sincerely, and you knew this was going to come up from Steve, just really quick. That moment had a sincere, like, Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell feeling and reaction. Like, of, why is this happening? And then all the pandemonium switched to the other side, and it just felt like there was no recovery. If If you're not a baseball fan, that's, in the World Series... You had a pitcher throwing six unhittable innings only for his manager to take him out. Only that was voluntary on the part of the team. And this, this hurt so bad. Yeah. This was someone, this was worse in the sense that it was a star player getting hurt. And I, and again, hope for the best recovery. Of course, we we don't have hours to spend yeah. on just this game, but like, if this is the player that back in October couldn't feel her legs. Right. So it was right. a scary moment for a lot of different reasons. She goes out. UConn goes on a run. Still an intense game. Now UConn's in the lead. The whole fourth quarter is great. And then I, I'm not just saying the last little bit where where the, the no call happened, but I'm saying like the last two or three minutes of this game, nobody seized it. I mean, uh, Paige, for as great as she was, she had 28 points in the game. She was over last six. She never, she never hit that dagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, UConn couldn't grab an offensive rebound. They didn't extend any of their possessions to really put Baylor away. The big one to me was Baylor putting themselves in a position where they needed the whistle at the end of the game in order for them to get to the line. But it was UConn that even left the door open because they bricked a bunch right. of free throws. So to me, it felt like this million dollar game with a 10 cent finish. Like it was, it was so close to being like mm-hmm. an all time great, <laughs> like that, that college basketball game stands out <laughs> in my mind. And now it's kind yeah. of tainted a little bit. Um, the analogy I gave last night in our chat, which I was worried that I uh, pissed off Kyle when I said this was, it felt like eating a delicious sandwich and you didn't notice that there was mold on the bread till the last bite. Like, yeah, I don't you, know. like, like you, you love the sandwich and you get to the very corner and I like, got oh, crap. I, I think it was like, undeniably a great, fun, intense like game that, that and and moving forward, these teams have played each other nine times, and now UConn's got the edge by one nine game, right? Times. Nine times, yeah. 
So like, <laughs> it, I hope they play again in the tournament. I, I think they will continue to be great competitors with one another. Mm-hmm. The, the tough thing for me was it would have been great to see a page hero moment or a, a Carrington fadeaway bucket. And, and all the discussion that happened on Twitter after that immediately started revolving around not how great a game it was, but officiating, uh, like drawing up yeah. a bad play, uh, injuries, and 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 then it just devolved even further into like you're just a UConn hater or you're just kind of a smug UConn fan, and like like it stopped being about these really competitive forty minutes yeah. these teams played, and that that was too bad. Yeah, I think that's where my frustration lies from things is uh, the big thing I've taken out of this now that I've had a day to kind of mull over things and look over things is I first of all. The discussion to me isn't at all, um, was it a foul? It very clearly, uh, was. I mean, it was, this was a no call in its purest form. Now, of course, you can't just sit here and say that's Baylor getting their win taken from them because as we just saw 30 seconds earlier from UConn, you've got to sink those free throws and you're still giving UConn a few seconds to pull. So like you may be putting the ball in Paige Becker's hands to get the moment she didn't get, right? Like it's, you're handing, you're putting, all those scenarios in front of itself. But I think the one big frustration to me that came out of it is why the whole, we can't review a foul thing is still a thing because there's always this discussion of like, well, there's so much subjectivity. Not really sure if you can necessarily make that call in a review and we can review the time clock, but we can't review that. The longest and most arduous detail intensive review scenario is an out of bounds call. And we spend several minutes and enhance on enhance on enhance like you're watching NCIS to see if a fingertip touched a ball at a certain moment. How are we not able to then review if a foul takes place? And yes, I'm not calling for more reviews, but I'm saying in a certain scenario in the last minute of a very close game, you should have the ability to review if something yeah. of that out takes place. Because to me, that's a situation of there's a very clear pathway to where a video review shows you that a foul takes place. You easily know where to stop the clock. It's not like it's affecting any future events right then and there, you can make that call and put someone at the foul. The hostile act scenario is very much a part. There's almost no more subjective discussion than that exact scenario yeah. of, of exact if a hostile to- act takes place, because that's just severity of a foul. So why can't we review if those moments happen? And maybe there's a good answer for it, but that's my frustration. Yeah, everything you just said, like... Everything you just said is a basketball officiating problem, not a UConn always gets their way problem. And I think that's the way yeah. a lot of people took that game because because tempers were hot. Kyle, I'm interested. I, I think you like this ending a little bit more than Steve and I are, are playing it up. Um, you also had UConn getting through. I don't know if that affects your feelings on it at all, but how, how are you going to remember? My thought was that I, like, from beginning to end, like, was entertained the entire time. like. Even at the, like where both teams were like playing such great basketball, it felt like for like, you know, leading up to where Baylor started pulling ahead, obviously Didi went out. Um, and that was like, that's just heartbreaking. Like nobody likes to see that, right? I wasn't, I didn't really have a dog in this fight. Yeah. I had UConn winning it in my bracket. At this point, I'm not winning my bracket pool, so I don't really care. So at this point, I'm just excited to see good basketball. And so when Didi went down, I got like, that's just sad. Like I didn't want that to happen. 
Um, to me, it wasn't like, like as bad as that is for Baylor, like it's impressive. Anytime a team goes 19 and 19 to nothing on a run, regardless of the situation, like the wind falls out of the sails of Baylor and UConn stepped in and said, all right, we've been, we've been, you know, getting our butts handed to us the last few minutes here. We got to, we got to take this back. And they stepped up and kind of used that as a, you know, as an unfortunate as the situation as that was, they used that to go on this big run, which was impressive. And then again, Baylor comes fighting right back and gets right back into the game. Cause for a while there, the way the momentum shifted and UConn's up by nine now, like it felt like Baylor was now totally out of the game. It switched that quickly. And then Baylor fought right back. But I think you guys are at the end of the game, the last like minute and a half, maybe even two or three minutes was like, neither team won the game. It was this back and forth of who's going to lose it, which in and of itself is entertaining. It's not like what you want at the end of a basketball game, but it's, it's, it's dramatic. It, it, it brings like a certain, like it, it was, your heart is still racing because it's like, it's not big plays. It's big mistakes. And oh, like this team still has hope. And then the other team, oh, maybe they don't have hope, but the, oh no, now they've lost the ball. You know, like it went back and forth. And so on the kind of the other way, it was still dramatic towards the end. Um, in that regard. And so like just the whole drama surrounding it, and then everything, you know, the last play I thought was a terrible play from Baylor. It was a complete foul and it should have been called. There should have been free throws and there should have been an opportunity for this game. Yeah. I was, cr- I was crossing my fingers for overtime, but that, that play was terrible. There, it, it, if she'd have pulled up, if she'd have pulled up, uh, you know, at the top of the key, like I think yeah. that's, that's the play to make. And it just wasn't there. So it was hard to yeah. like have such a bad play. And yeah. yes, it was a missed call, but it was like, not necessarily an earned yeah. because it was a, it was poor execution by Baylor as well. So yeah. it, again, it just felt like both teams who, who didn't lose it the most at the end. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where I felt. I feel like it was clear that last play was drawn up for Carrington. And then when the original plan kind of blow, got blown, the play just still remained for Carrington when it just should have been at that point, get a jumper yeah. up. If it goes in good, if not get the yeah. rebound, then if not, you're giving yourself Ten, seven to ten seconds of clock. Uh, should you have to foul, it's still a one point game. If they sink their free throws, you still have a shot to tie it up. And what they did there was kind of just completely took it out of their own hands. So yeah, all of that's true. I, I think it's one of the states in a vacuum when it comes to this controversial call. It's like you should be able to review that. I would say the other side of it is I just am starting to get a little frustrated with the guys. Everyone knows the ref swallows the whistle at the end of the game discussion because yeah. I think, and I'm not talking about last night. I'm talking about like in general, I've seen this at all levels of the game on both right. sides of the game. And it's frustrating to me because if there's one place where the standard needs to remain consistent, it's with officiating. Because if you maintain that standard, you're bettering the players. If you're saying, listen, a foul is a foul is a foul, and I'm going to call it if I see it. I don't care what the circumstances are. Keep it equal. uh, Then what you're doing is helping coaches help their players be better defenders. Because at that moment, what you can do if you're UConn or any team in their scenario, I'm not trying to call it UConn when I say this. You know, hey, I could maybe throw my arms up at about a 60-degree angle because if I get a little contact, they're probably not blowing the whistle. And that should not – like the the early Gordon Bombay theory of coaching should not exist. I always hate when 
when like getting to fudge the foul scenario is a part of your defensive strategy. I want a good defense to play good defense and UConn is a phenomenal defensive team, but they had two front court players who knew I can get a little bump and it's going to be fine. What I'd rather have is them being great defenders, which they were all night and let that be a defensive play, a great defensive play to end a big game to me is almost as exciting yeah. as a great offensive play, sometimes yeah. more so. And that's what frustrated me, is you could tell that was set up with them knowing we might be able to get away with a yeah. call here because we've done it so many times. So I don't like that scenario of saying, like, well, guys, you got to know that they – no, like, for the long-term health of basketball, we actually need to start making those calls because people need to start defending – to not get those calls. And what you're going to see is a better product at the yeah, end of the day. I, I feel like I say this every week, so we're just going to call this Logan's context is important corner. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's so important. Like, when I was a little annoyed last night because Renee Montgomery sent out a tweet that was, like, basically, like, sorry, not sorry. Like, don't put yourself in that position to, to be at the ref's mercy. And I was annoyed until I realized, like, if you're coming from the perspective of a player or a coach, you have to deal with the realities that – refs are human and they're going to make mistakes. Like that's, you just have to know that, right? Like if you're playing on the court, that that's very much like part of your mindset. I even, I texted you guys in our chat like a minute or two prior to any of this happening. It was actually for a different call that did get whistled. So I was wrong about that one, but I was like, you just, you can never rely on, on that call as a fan of the sport. It is absolutely our right to demand better officiating. Yes. Like we, like, I know that that's kind of a weird differentiation to make, but like as a spectator of the sport that is operating for our entertainment, like fans should not just be going like, well, sometimes they're bad at their jobs and get things wrong. It's like at the end of the game, the expectation (laughs) from the fan perspective should be you better not get it wrong or things like this happen. And now like, like this is the difference between 14 straight or 13 straight final fours for UConn and that streak breaking is the fact that like refs are human and they got it wrong. And that's tough. You know, we would have loved to see an overtime of this game. I know people think that it's like people hating on UConn. It's really every time this happens to a team, my heart kind of breaks because it's it, when, when people say like, what an incredible streak, 13 straight final fours. I think you're right. Yeah. It is literally incredible. It lacks credibility. But it's these types, it's these types of inconsistencies that create that. So when people are trying to say you guys are just Yukon haters, it's like, well, I, I promise. I I'm think not. it's because, I, but it's those scenarios that create it. Cause when you just outplay a team, you outplay a team. That's a part of life. But this is one of those scenarios where it's like, it's, it's kind of the thought I had, which was, listen, Yukon already has all the advantages in terms of they can pull in any talent they want. This is a team that's going to add Ozzy Fudd to an already historic roster. It doesn't feel fair, but that's how it goes in that case. Now they get to have the yeah. other advantages too. So it feels like it sucks in that sense. Now, that also just happened that they were the benefactor of the moment, right? Because it, that's how those things tend to, to play themselves out. But I, I, I see your point in that sense of like, it's not that this moment ruined an already good night. It's the fact that the night deserved a better moment to close this night out. I, I thought so. It deserved yeah. a real moment. And that's what's the frustration is. It sucks that that's how it, it had to, to pan itself out. It's, you know, it's imagine if Rocky two ended on a TKO because someone was bleeding under the eye and it's like, eh. no, it'd be, it'd be like if a Rocky movie ended because he turned his fist on like another guy's hip and was just like, he had to box with one hand the entire, <laughs> like the last like two rounds. And it's like, well, this isn't super great. 
Like, it's still exciting. Even though you are close to hitting on the, uh, cl- you're, you're sort of close to hitting on the plot of the end of Rocky Balboa, which actually was good. So it was good. I, I do want to segue us into another big game that happened just minutes before we started yes. recording. There are two games that we're going to get to after that, that we'll spend like maybe 30 seconds on, maybe 34. Uh, but but a very different complexion in the Stanford Louisville game. Uh holy crap. Stanford looked mortal for like the first half of any game they've played in this tournament. I, I think they've now played three and a half games at half speed and half of a game at what they're capable of, and that was enough to blow out Louisville after being down at the half. By double digits. Uh, Kyle, I want to I want to get your thoughts because I feel like we, we haven't gotten over to Kyle in a minute. Yeah. You have thoughts on, on Louisville losing this game. Tell me, tell me where you're at with the Stanford. I, team. yeah, this, this was a really impressive game on a completely different way than I expected it to be. Does that make sense? Like I expected this to be, you know, maybe, maybe a chance for Stanford to make a real statement because Stanford basically hasn't really been touched. If you look at scores, the Oklahoma State game in the round of 32 looks close, but it really wasn't. Stanford was in control that whole time. Then they blow out a very good Missouri State team. And so when they were down double digits in the first half, I just I sat there and thought, wow, like Louisville, Louisville's not afraid of this machine that has been Stanford basketball this season, right? They're taking it to them. Um, and I don't know if it was uh, you know, Tara's secret stuff or whatever happened in the, in the locker room at halftime. Uh, you know, if they pulled some space jam stuff there, but Stanford came out a completely different team, um, in that second half and Louisville, as soon as Stanford went on the run, Louisville seemed to get on their heels instead of staying on attack, which is what they had done in the first half. Stanford basically just came out and, and kind of just, put Louisville into a submission. Um, There was some last, you know, towards the, during the fourth quarter, you know, Dana Evans stepping up and and making a couple plays to keep it interesting. But in the end, Stanford really just ran away with this. I don't know who is more scary right now of Stanford or South Carolina. They're both terrifying in how we've seen them play basketball today. Like I, I am terrified of both of those teams. If I am either Arizona or UConn. Here's where to me it actually gets even more interesting. As you say, they came out of the half. Um, this was a 10 point lead for Louisville with less than five minutes left in the third. I mean, this yeah. was a switch got flipped somewhere. And a lot of people watched this. And in real time, I thought watching this and just felt like Louisville was blowing things. But actually, it was really Stanford's defense is that good. Yes. And I got to say this I preference, prefaced one of the last games we talked about by saying, that I'm not a UConn hater. I'm a little bit of a Stanford hater lifelong. <laughs> and it's mainly because I'm a poor Los Angeles native with a NorCal rich kid complex. Uh, and I'm a USC fan. So it's a Pac 12 thing. So that's on personal level. So I'm bummed because I don't like watching Stanford win anything in any sport. Uh, <laughs> and, but that's just me. I'm willing to push that aside to say that last 15 minutes of basketball is probably the best 15 minutes of defense I've seen from any team in this tournament. And that's really what's been the death, like been the the spell for Stanford. That's what's made them as dangerous as they have been. And it's frustrating in a lot of ways because I, you know, I really liked Louisville all season. 
And I really thought this is their chance to break through. I will say this. Um, Dana Evans doing everything in her will to try and keep her team in this game, even though it felt over near the start of the fourth quarter, um, increased her draft stock exponentially to me. Right. Um, I just, one thing you can underscore at this was how, uh, happy she is, you know, how, how, you know, like pleased I was with, with watching that. I think a lot of people are going to see some strength in that because, uh, there's a lot of directions the Dallas Wings could go over the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch that. Um, but you guys are missing what the highlight of this entire game was the biggest moment from a great game of basketball and a collection of players going at it, which was guys, Russell Wilson was sitting in a chair there. Don't he do was that. sitting in a chair. Do that. that was the play of the don't, night to don't, me. That was the play that. of the night. It was athleticism <laughs> and basketball at its absolute finest. It was the honor and privilege of women's <laughs> basketball on the big stage. Russell Wilson sat in a chair in the building. And aren't you glad that's the story? It's. I'm so glad that, that he let everybody know that they needed to cheer so that Stanford could make the comeback. Yeah. I'm glad Stanford <laughs> remembered what they were playing. You're forgetting that Sierra was also there. She was <laughs> also there. The, yes. The broadcast. Yes. The broadcast did focus a lot on on my guy uh, when when they probably could have been focusing more on uh, some players that I'm going to bring up here for leading the charge in the second half. Do you guys wonder why Anna Wilson doesn't just have Russ's sister on her jersey instead? It'd be so much easier to know why she's so important. No, because she's so busy raining threes. Yeah. Ashton or uh I'm sorry, Anna Wilson has has missed all of like one three-pointer the entire tournament. Yeah. Is that like that's nuts. Uh the the player That's I Logan's, up that's Logan's I doubt- don't look it up stat of the night. <laughs> no, they they said she was 7 of 8 uh in the tournament at, at one point. I think I don't think she shot again until uh the end of the game. So I I think you can vet that. I'll make sure I'll vet that later. I, but uh, okay. The player I really want to get to I would challenge Ashton that with something, but this is not important. Keep going. <laughs> so off the bench uh for Stanford with 0 points in the first half and 16 on 6 of 6 yes. shooting in the second half. Ashton Prechtel Won them this game. I mean, Williams was huge. Wilson was huge. Everybody in the starting lineup was huge. Um, literally. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was Prechtel that I thought really led the way. And they, you know, Sanford just runs a seven player rotation. Didn't know that they, like all seven of those players were just so incredibly deep that they could dig out of this hole against Louisville. As you said, not just at, in the second half, but with like four or five minutes left in the third quarter is really where it began. Um, the fourth quarter started with them down by two, and I believe they scored the next 10 or 12 points. They went on an insane run. Um, you, you had to be thinking at the same time, like, man, this is just what UConn did. And it feels like these teams are kind of on a collision course. Um, but I, I was just really impressed. I, I remember thinking after Stanford's last win, this just looks like a team that's title bound. They're just breezing through teams. And this they had to actually work for a little bit. They, you know, they actually sweat for it tonight, but ultimately ended up with a 15 point win anyway. And down the stretch in the fourth quarter, didn't have to make any difficult shots or get any big stops. It just felt like everything. They just turned the game around going their way. They, they hit two three pointers in the first half after shooting 12. You knew that was going to turn around and their shooting was going to come back a little. Apparently Louisville didn't know. They looked yeah. like they were shocked. They thought they were going to hold them to like 10% three-point shooting the whole game. Um, yeah, everybody whole, everybody on that team is just really scary. And we'll get up uh, to their, their final four matchup um, just in a little bit. But I, I was just really, I don't have any Stanford hate. 
I just I just always try to like find a way for the number one overall seed to lose along the way to the championship because I think that makes things more interesting. But at this point, I want to see that Stanford team in the second half against that 19-0 run UConn team face each other. I know Steve is not a fan of that at all, but these are the, that's that's good basketball. No, that's 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 07 NBA Finals Spurs Cavs level of interest for me, but. <laughs> It would be good basketball. I just might be grumpy because I, you know, I just might be grumpy. I just, you know, rich kid complex. Uh, that's, that's me. But no, I, I will, like, I, for me, for all of what I've said, like, there's no doubting. This is the first time I watched Stanford, this tournament that I went, okay, now I do see why they're like the consensus number one seed in the tournament. Cause I didn't feel it all tournament long. I was like, I just feel like they're going to crack and then. It felt like they were really going to crack and then it didn't happen. So I, I stand with that. I, um, we have taken up a lot of real estate. I think it is about time for us to head into talking about these final four matchups. That said, does anyone have any shout outs for the rest of our contest from the time we've got? Of course. I mean, Wildcats, that's something. Um, our McDonald might, might be the player of the tournament at this point. I think so. I, I didn't think them beating Texas A&M was like a complete shock the way that Texas A&M had, A&M had been playing everyone close, but they kind of whooped them. Uh, and this is an Arizona team that early in the tournament was like, like letting BYU hang around. Uh, and they, I don't know. So yeah. I, I know nobody's really giving them much of a chance against UConn in the final four. Cause we all just watched UConn play like the game of the year against Baylor. And it feels like they're untouchable. Uh, and Arizona, if they're going to win, they are going to have to play a lower scoring game. I don't know if their defense can handle that, so I wouldn't bet on them. Uh, but for for being kind of the undercard game after the Baylor UConn clash, uh, Arizona actually looked really impressive. I I do also I know we keep uh, <laughs> we keep ribbing Texas, but we don't need to talk about Texas at all. We should talk about South Carolina a minute. Um, because they they also look scary, it, but we don't. The, the only thing on the on the Texas matchup is the way that they upset a Maryland team that not only had been unreal good up to that night, but looked that good in the first half. Um, I mean that was a shocker game. It seemed like that momentum would potentially carry them, and then I just. Uh, it was like a classic wheels fell off type of moment. It just, it almost felt like the energy wasn't there. Don Staley put the thing in an overdrive and like, you just, you should just count on South Carolina to get that job done. But it it felt like it was going to have a different feel to it, but you know, there you have it. It is what it is. So I think that's roughly 34 seconds. That's about as many seconds as they had points. So I think that about <laughs> says it, but I mean, it's tough because like, for, you know, for instance, Charlie Collier, I don't think had as strong of a tournament as we were all expecting. No. And that, that stinks a bit, uh, because it's, it's not going to play well to her value, which is the fact she's a phenomenal basketball player. She may very well still go number one in this upcoming draft, but that stock is up in question now. And that's unfortunate because that was a good I, team I think with so. a great player. Um, and, but yeah, it's, it's weird how that game so underscores what was a really thrilling upset for them. You are correct in that Arizona's turnaround in the last two games is huge. I mean, you go from uh easy roll-up against Stony Brook, you eke one out against BYCC, and then you have, uh, you know, this win against Indiana. You know, it's, it, I think that uh, you're correct on the A&M front, but again, it's that idea of um, they seem to have a good thing rolling. 
Um, so I think let's roll right into that Arizona UConn discussion since we're kind of in the middle of it. I, I think my, my the issue obviously with this, and like I said, a lot of people are essentially writing off the Wildcats um, because yeah, it's just of the prowess UConn has. I think the the issue they're running into potentially is just UConn's easiest metric when it comes to an easy victory size advantage. You saw that against Iowa. There was just no point where it felt like Iowa was ever going to get a shot to make it a game. It just came much to how much glory they could pull off. And it was just because the, the muscle was there for UConn and that feels like it here. But like I said, if I had to tag a player of the tournament right now, it's probably, it's probably Ari McDonald. And so, you know, it's that crazy game seven feel like anything can happen. You know, we could see that Enrique Agunbawale type scenario where they might just be in enough striking distance and the final four can be just that crazy. Um, but if you are uh, scouting for the University of Arizona, like what must happen? You already touched on a little bit, Logan, when it came to defensive prowess. But what what's got to happen? What are those key points for you to pull off a huge upset? Yeah, as far as Arizona goes, you have to be able to score. It sounds weird that Arizona's got to. Yeah, you, you do need to do some lockdown defense. You're playing against a really good offensive team. I think the more important part is on the offensive side of the ball. You've got to have a game plan that's going to put McDonald's and, and all your other players in a position where they can, they can put the hurt on that UConn defense. I feel like if Arizona doesn't get out and really push the ball and have a high tempo and get out and score early, UConn could, could pop up to a 10 point lead real quick and, and really just hold on to that. I agree with what Kyle said, which is why I can't see a scenario where Arizona wins this game, which is weird to say in the final four, um, because at this point we should be believers in all four teams. But Arizona wins games by scoring 66, 67 points. Um, and they, that's not going to do it against UConn. And they might not even get that many because the height advantage they're giving up on both ends means they're not going to get rebounds. Uh, they're going to have to rely a lot on the three. They hit about six per game, which also isn't going to do it. They're going to have to be better than that. Um, they're basically going to have to look to McDonald and say, you got to, you got to carry it. Like defensively, I don't know if you can shut UConn down any better than Baylor did. And Baylor still went on like an unreal, unlucky streak, um, where they let Baylor back in the game. So like rebounding, I think it favors UConn defense. It's UConn. Scoring options, you know, maybe Page and, and McDonald can cancel each other out, but I think UConn has more ability to stretch the floor. Um, it it just doesn't seem like a game that UConn can win, and I or, excuse me, that Arizona can win. Um, I, I would think UConn <laughs> they would almost have to screw up royally to lose this game. They could they could play their B minus effort and still beat Arizona, and that you know I, I think we're going to see UConn in the championship. More, more certainly than I, than I can pick the other half of the bracket. The, the Stanford South Carolina game, you could convince me both teams have a shot at that. I, I think things have to go really wrong for UConn to not get to the, the finals this year. Yeah. It just at some point, I think you do. And, um, we, we've watched multiple teams in the last five years at this point find a way to get their number in the, in the final four. And it just feels like it, it's going to take. One of those monumental type of meltdowns where just like, why is like, why is Paige not hitting shots? Like why all of a sudden are things just not going in? Like it would, it would take a player like Paige Becker's losing her step up uh, mid ranger, which by the way, she's single handedly shutting up every anti mid range 
uh, <laughs> discussion on Twitter with her game because that pull up uh, to the elbow is, is one of my absolute favorite plays. <laughs> For you know, for anyone who think who thinks anyone's a, a UConn hater, everyone's gotta love that jumper. It's it's my favorite. Um but like that has to, like that type of stuff has to be taken. It's it's going to take a a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, yeah, I wish I could find something Arizona could do actively to improve their chances. But to me, it seems like it would have to be something UConn failed to do. Like they have mm-hmm. the capacity to beat this team. Just like yeah, a regular season win, like this, I don't think they're going to feel a lot of pressure in this game. I think it's the classic upset soup: is you you got to hit your shots and hope for like generate early foul trouble, like hit your shots and get to the line. Like it's yeah, it's, and, and and it's and that and and on a mondo level. So the final four is nuts. A lot of crazy stuff could happen. Um, but yeah, it's hard for me to see a scenario where this doesn't end up with UConn in, in yet another final. And at that point, you're pretty much on autopilot with Gino. Gino doesn't lose finals. Hmm. Um, See, that that's an interesting point because we haven't touched on coaching a lot yet as far as what coaches remain in the final four. I, I think as much as I wanted Baylor to win that game and as much as I hate giving Gino praise, he absolutely outcoached Kim Mulkey. I mean, that 19-0 run was completely... Like yeah. pouncing at the right time, caught them off guard, closed out the game, even though they didn't play particularly well down the stretch. I think he coached the better game. Um, if, if he ends up going against Stanford or a Don Staley, South Carolina team, I think that finals like spotless record could be in jeopardy. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know who's going to be there, but I, that's an interesting thing yeah. to watch for because coaching does take you really far yeah. in this tournament. He did out coach Mulkey. I think the question from there is which one out coveted the other, but that's a different discussion. For oh, God. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but they both, they both have made headlines with COVID in the last two weeks. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit stingy of a discussion there. Oh my gosh. They had, they had the worst. Is that the worst combination of post game conferences we've had? <laughs> It was. I don't know. None other jumped to mind. It, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> I can feel South Carolina fans wondering when we're going to talk about their team. <laughs> um, and I, I want to because because Kyle, you said earlier that, that they're kind of a scary matchup for Stanford. We all just watched Stanford absolutely turn on not just the like light a match, but just a rocket booster. Over don't Louisville beat your elite eight half. opponent so badly that there's nothing to talk about, <laughs> and maybe we'll have something to talk about. <laughs> They well they they beat Texas so bad, but uh, Stanford outscored Louisville fifty two to twenty five in the second half. So like really, if Stanford was trying the whole time, maybe we wouldn't even be talking about that game as much. So I'm interested. I just because I know you brought this up earlier, Kyle. Is there a way you could be talked into taking South Carolina in this game? Absolutely. South Carolina had five of their players in double digit scoring, and. If you look at the box score, I'm, let me just pull up the box score really quick. Four players with eight rebounds, another player with six. Uh, like they played so cohesively as a team that that's a tough matchup for anybody. Because here's the thing you've got Beal, you've got Cook, you've got Boston, like Saxton, like you've got all these players that at any moment can go off for any number of points. The problem is, any one of them can do that. And like Stanford's going to have their hands full as good as Louisville is. The Gamecocks are playing great basketball right now. They like that was, that was an absolute snoozer of a game because they didn't let Texas score 
in the fourth quarter. The entire quarter, Texas didn't have a bucket. You know, like, this is a South Carolina team that has looked really strong. Don Staley is a phenomenal coach. Um, I do love all four of the coaches coming into this Final Four. I think that they all, uh, you know, obviously Stanford, South Carolina, UConn, you know, like you, their coach is almost synonymous with their team. Um, and yeah. Barnes out of Arizona has such a cool story, you know, an ex, ex WNBA player. Um, you know, this is our first ever final four that we've had two black female coaches coaching. Like this is, this is really, really cool. Um, I think St- South Carolina has a very good shot. In fact, I think this is a lot closer to a coin flip than people are, are going to give it credit for. Now, Stanford's uh, yeah. size, Stanford's size is terrifying. Like that was the biggest difference in this, like yep. the second part of this, of this Louisville game is the first half. It seemed like Stanford wasn't like, wasn't on the boards. I feel like Louisville maybe had like a four rebound advantage going into the half. Stanford, I, I, if let me, let me double check this. Stanford, uh, final rebounding totals had a, had an eight. Eight rebound advantage on the, at the end of the game and between Brink and Hull and Believe, like they are huge. They're super tall. And if when they're rebounding, you don't get second chance points and they get, and they get second chance points. That's hard to overcome. But I do feel yeah. like if, if anybody can, South Carolina is going to be right there. This is, that's the game I'm excited about. Their starter's lowest rebound haul was four, and if you, yeah. that doesn't sound impressive, that's super impressive. Yeah. Um, no, they they do look very strong, but I will say when it comes to this matchup, there is, in my opinion, a good argument to say potentially like as strong and as well-sized as Stanford's lineup is, I think the best player on the court is probably Leah Boston. Like It's yeah. one of those cases of there's a lot to be – made of that scenario. And it's interesting that we had the, we're not talking about them discussion um, because this South Carolina team is essentially the Connecticut sun. Like it's <laughs> down, down to the four starters with, with double digits down to a team with that are stat rebounders that like there's very, that, you know, getting in control. And when I first saw that stat that Texas didn't score point the fourth, I thought that was a ju- like. There's no way that's correct. The game cast looks like whoever did the game cast fell asleep. Like there's a literal flat line, <laughs> just a flat line, yeah, <laughs> from like partway into the third all the way through the fourth, and it's just, uh, it's bonkers. So I think there's a shot there. Is Stanford the favorite? Thousand percent. I think they are definitely the favorite. But that's certainly a case of, uh, you can see where the fish hook yanks a little bit, uh, and. You know, there's this, there's an easy scenario in my brain that South Carolina makes this happen. Also, it's Don Staley. I don't think that's a coach that you can necessarily doubt. Um, so yeah, and I love this. Yeah. And like you said, the narrative, you know, two, you know, two black female coaches in the final four. On top of that, two former WNBA players coaching yeah. in the final four. Um, you know, that, that's, that'll be a, a that, that could be, that'd be a cool, fun narrative in a dream world if they meant the final, but obviously that would take a, a whole lot having to happen all at once. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I'm glad you made that Connecticut call out cause they do feel very similar, um, to a Connecticut sun type of team. You know, here's, what's crazy. I feel like both South Carolina and Stanford played games tonight that made me feel like, how do you ever bet against that team? 
Mm-hmm. And that was, yes. and, and I almost feel better yes. about Stanford being down and then coming back and winning so convincingly. They, they needed that test, needed it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that actually elevates their game moving forward into South Carolina. Like, cause I don't think, I'm not, not taking anything against Louisville. I don't know if you survive that same scenario against South Carolina. I, th- no. I don't know if that happens. And so, that that game alone made me feel like, uh, yeah, I got to take Stanford in this one. And then yeah. you watch South Carolina play Texas, and you're like, yeah, nobody's beaten these guys. So it's it's really is going to be just this clash yeah. of titans in in this game. Stanford needed that test, and UConn needed their test. It was yeah. very much two teams that they very much can now look in the mirror and say, well, we're not letting that happen again. Yeah, like not not dealing with that again, and and putting themselves in autopilot. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I, I keep listening to you guys talk about this. I haven't decided who I would take in this game yet. I mean, my bracket, I think I was Stanford, but who cares about my bracket at this point? Like, I, I, I was, I was thinking about like what team would I bet against at this point? And I, I thought, well, Stanford's got size. They've got rebounding. They've got three point shooting. They're at this point, they're battle tested and they've aced every single obstacle in front of them. How do you bet against that team? And then, on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's as simple as Don Staley and, and good defense, like elite level defense. And it's not to say that either of those teams don't have, you know, good players on the other side of the ball. Like Stanford plays great defense and South Carolina can score like crazy, but that's what I know them for. And like, I never bet against Don Staley or elite defense. So I think it's a complete toss up. I think it's the opposite of what's going on on the other end of the bracket. Um, and to be honest, I think both of these teams could beat UConn. Yeah. I, I agree. I'd agree with that. Um, I, I hope just for, just for the storyline, I would love Arizona to win. At this point, who wouldn't? Right. Like I've, I've got UConn winning the whole bracket. I've got, I've got UConn winning the bracket, the winning my bracket. All right. And I, I'm a huge fan of everything that UConn's got going on and will have going on when FUD, you know, comes onto the team. Like that's a team that is so enjoyable, but. Not nobody just continually roots for Goliath all the time. Mm-hmm. Cinderella and the underdog is always fun. You know what I mean? And Arizona's an underdog. It's a fun. People always think we're Yukon haters. It's just more interesting if Arizona wins because they're the only non one seed that made it. Yeah. And everybody else basically got through their regions unaffected. Yukon had a little trouble with Baylor, but handled it. Everybody else has just killed everybody they played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's it's more interesting if Arizona emerges. Yeah. Uh, I I just don't think yeah, they will. I agree. This is this is fun. I'm excited. Uh, quick trivia, just for the the, the fun of it. Um, do you guys know without looking up who UConn's won losses this year? Oh, I did. It I did is know. I Louisville? I'm pretty sure we all watched it. Is Arkansas? Ar- oh, Arkansas. Oh, that's right. Because right. cause Arkansas just beat everyone for some reason. <laughs> yeah, Arkansas had like two or three number one overall, like like they beat the number one overall team yeah. like two or three times this year. Yeah, a yeah. couple times, yeah. And then in that same span of time, South Carolina beat them by 22. So <laughs> okay. it's this, if, if you're playing the weird comparison, who have they beat, who have they lost to game, you're even looking at it right there. Like it's it's really an interesting um Complexion of of ideals there. If I had to make a prediction, because there's it, we didn't really call for predictions, I just 
Stanford and UConn, it's like I said, I feel like they got the test that they needed and they're going to find a way to put it. They both have size advantages. They both have that energy. And that's kind of the matchup everyone's been looking forward to. Like what's like, what's going to happen when you finally see these forces come to play. And that's in a sense where it stands in my mind. It makes sense to me, but you know, I'm pretty much game for anything at this point. Let's have some fun. Let's, you know, which one of us wants, does anyone want to just be fun and say, screw it. I'm calling Wyoming. Why not? (laughs) You know, (laughs) free lunch. If you're right, you know, like I, I, I personally, I've got South Carolina, UConn as my prediction. Okay. But I'm like you, Steve, any scenario that happens, I'm super down. Like I'm at this point, you know, those people that are like, Oh, I'm just here. I just hope it's a good game. I'm at that point in this, in, in the bracket. Like I, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just stoked to see. I want more games like UConn Baylor. I want more games like Louisville Stanford. I want more games like that. You know, we've been spoiled the last four to five years of just having very dynamite, very dynamite final four games. Um, And it's why last year was such a slog because last year is probably going to be the most competitive tournament that the the games, the women's game especially has ever seen. And I think we were due for a very strong final four. You hope that that remains on brand because it's been a while since we've watched one team just trounce their way into the title. It's been, it's been a fight either way. And that's kind of what you hope for. And that's been the brand. You, you know, you want to put your money on Ryan Ruka losing his voice. Yes. How it is. If that happens, I'm, then I will be, Kyle will be a happy boy. He's had a good week. He has. That's, that's like pretty off topic for, for what we normally talk about, but I, it's, he's been so good that I've actually noticed the last couple of days. In terms of mainstream, uh, media, cause everyone's got the local guy they love. I'm not trying to call it out. In terms of mainstream media, we need to start talking about Ryan Rucco in like the top three discussion of basketball play by play announcers. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, college, college, MNBA, W, like, well, WNBA is also Ryan Rucco, but like, <laughs> in terms of mainstream, like large networks, people that you hear nationally, he gets, that like, gets the job. I mean, that broadcast team in general is amazing, but. I was saying, like, Rucco, Lobo, and Holly Rowe, like, that's a hard trio to beat. He has a very classic, good energy. Yeah. Um, and his truth call is actually one of my favorite. Oh, so uh, good. I, I put it over the Mike Breen, yes, and I know a lot of people love that one. So, or bang, sorry, no, uh, uh, Marv Alberts, yes, he's bang. I put truth over bang. That's truth over bang is going to be my first album title, by the way. Truth, truth is yours. My favorite was it is bird's night (laughs) when, when bird was going off and he like, he was out of, he was like, I've used all my things. She's hit so many shots. I've used all the things. See the moment, the moment that I thought he legitimately was like, uh, was, was Sue bird is unconscious right now. That's him just being like, she hit another three. I got nothing left. I don't know how she still got some left because I got nothing left. She's playing real well. The Shea Petty game winners getting called out in the chat. That is an That's excellent right. call. That's right. Money call. Oh my gosh. I, uh, I remember looking back at our 2020 rankings and I don't think I put the Shea Petty shot high enough. I forgot mm-hmm. how exactly excited I was when that moment happened. I went back and watched it like about a month ago and legitimately like, I forgot how amazing that moment was because it was huge. It didn't feel for, it really didn't feel like a, an opening playoff game. Something yeah. about it felt like it was a big, was, Oh gosh, what a good shot. I'm glad someone called that out because now I have to go watch it tonight. <laughs> um, so final four, 
Big stuff. We're closing things out in the college game. The freaking draft is in like a couple of weeks. We still don't know the WNBA schedule. We're probably going to see cool <laughs> uniforms before we get the schedule. There's a lot to be excited about. That said, is there anything else uh, either of y'all need to call out before we put a bow on this thing? No, just that uh, appreciate everybody for listening. If you're checking us out on uh, Apple Podcasts, make sure that you hit sub- well hit subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, Go ahead and hit that five star review. It's super simple. Literally scroll down just a, a tiny bit right now and hit that five star review. If you leave an actual five star review, we will read it here on an episode. We'll give you the shout out and have you uh, actually hear it on the episode. So uh, feel free to hit that up for us. Um, Follow us on Twitter at WNBA Nation Pod. That's the best way to get in contact with us. Um, and we've had, honestly, as far as kind of contacts and things, we've had some pretty, we've had a pretty decent week. Nothing that we can disclose at all right now, but we've had a, a pretty good couple weeks, uh, as far as interactions with, uh, with players, with coaches, with fans, uh, with companies. It's, it's been really good. And so we appreciate all of you and, and everything you do to further the show as fans, as listeners, we've even had, we've had somebody join our, our Twitch chat, uh, just tonight and hit us with a follow and a subscription that we just absolutely, we can't thank them enough. Uh, you know, uh, a member of our, our Twitter WNBA family. So thank you for doing that. Twitch, uh, shouts to everybody who comes and hangs out on Twitch with us. That's where I'm starting to feel like, like we've got our Twitter family that's like close. But Twitch is where it's starting to like, I'm, I feel like I know these people, right? Like a lot of them are just still screen names for me, but I'm feeling like I'm, I just, I know them. I know what their takes are. I know who they're a fan of. And over here on Twitch is a blast. So if you haven't had a chance, sign up for Twitch, um, and, and come hang out with us. It's a blast over here. You should know that any of our, our, our Twitch verse, if uh, any of you have liked a tweet of mine, I legitimately look at it with the same like warm smirk every time. <laughs> oh, Rosenberg, like it's it's always a nice moment. So yeah. it's uh, so you should know. No, we have loved the interaction. This has been a cool experience, and we're here because of you. And we're here to motiv- we're motivated to be here for you. So whatever we can do to continue to make this better experience for the WNBA Nation base, let's let's do it. I do have one item, and that's that. This is the biggest time of year for this show and for women's basketball in general. In order, uh, in order to generate some interest, uh, basically from now through the draft into the, the opening week of the season, that's when we get a lot of bump in listenership. Uh, and that's when we are going to be releasing, uh, before the season, the previews for each of the 12 WNBA teams. Uh, obviously we've been talking lots of college basketball this month because it's March, but soon we will be getting into, uh, where every WNBA team roster lies, what you need to know about their last season, how they did in the, in the playoffs, if they made the playoffs. Basically, the breakdown of everything someone new to the league would need to know to be primed for the 2021 WNBA season. So if you have friends that are looking to get into the league, if you need a refresh um, or if you see anyone on Twitter asking what team they should be a fan of, uh, please direct them to the podcast. We are going to be doing basically a month's worth of content directly uh, for those types of fans because that's what we were just four years ago. Uh, And we know how much that can help you instantly be invested in the league. So look out for that. Look out for uh, maybe a taste of WNBA history in the next little bit. Uh, Hopefully some new interviews coming your way. I'm so sorry, everyone. It's been like three months. We're going to get that final Candace episode out. I promise. Well, you're to be fair, your computer left. We'll just say it left. And then 
we've had March. So we haven't really had that much of an opportunity. So don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. I, I was going to have it done last week. And then legitimately, I went like, there's just no reason to drop it in the middle of the tournament. Right. So we're going to get it done. Don't you worry. We've got the third. I think I've got the, the third topic, the third session uh, ready to, to get started on once we get Candace done. And I, I got a feeling y'all are going to be pretty excited about it. So Ooh. is it, I think you alluded to it before. And if so, yeah. I'm very excited about that one. I think, I think you, I think you caught on to it. It's a good one. Hopefully the, uh, the final, the final Candace episode might coincide with the, like the sky city Jersey drop. And we can just generate a lot of like, <laughs> Hey, that Jersey looks dope. This one, Candace Parker's Candace dope. Parker's dope. <laughs> WNBA history. Yeah. This is, uh, there it is, right? That's what I've been waiting on. That's exactly it. Uh, no, it's, it's coming. Don't y'all worry. I really only, the only last things I wanted to call it, cause you guys pretty much shattered everything outside of store envy. Check out our merch, uh, is, uh, congratulations to the Boston Pride and WSL is NWHL Isabel Cup champions. Yes. Uh, and NWSL, the uh, 2021 Challenge Cup kicks off next Friday, April 9th. Uh, on CBS. So check those out. Mike and I are hoping to get some challenge cup, uh, content out for you guys, um, early next week. Uh, we're looking into that. Hopefully we can. Um, we're in a weird situation just with my current health and availability and, um, Mike pretty much working graves at the moment. So we're trying to make the balance work, but we're going to do our best to get some NWSL content out for you guys. So if you're looking to get primed for the challenge cup, that will be happening soon. And then, as the WSL season and the WNBA season starts to pan out, we've got a freaking Olympics to cover. Um, and we mean that in that if you're looking for a place to, to get some sort of discussion when it comes to women's athletics in the Olympics, we're sort of making that a goal of ours. So we're looking to do some Team USA stuff and beyond. Uh, so be excited about that. If you have a sport that specifically, that's just like whenever it's Olympics, I get jacked for like judo or something. Let us know. <laughs> we want to make that coverage happen. And then like in a few months after that, we'll have another Olympics. It's just going to be weird a couple of times, but I do have one uh, last jacked, What's that? jacked for judo is the name of the, my album that's coming out. So <laughs> Love be it. on the lookout for that. Uh, my one last call out, uh, is, uh, is my invitation to, to all listeners and to anyone on the Twitterverse, uh, because I'm interested in this. We're in like the final stage. Uh, my wife and I of selecting the, the, our name for our, uh, for a baby girl. Uh, she, she'll be here in less than three months. Um, I won't call out what we're looking at, but we pretty sure we kind of know where the name is, but I did want to give one last push, uh, to the, the WNBA, uh, Twitter verse. If you've got a WNBA or women's basketball motivated name in mind that you think would be a good name for a baby girl, I want to hear it. So yes, I, I want to hear some ideas that you guys have, whether it's in after play or a team or anything. I want to see what fun ideas you have. I can't promise any ideas will be under heavy consideration because this is a two person decision. And I'm going to be honest, the other person might carry a heck of a lot more cloth than I do, but I want to <laughs> hear what you've got uh, and see what we can generate. So if you have some good uh, WNBA or women's basketball, women's sports themes, uh, uh, names for our, uh, for our baby, we want to, we want to hear. I'm here. I'm here for all suggestions and Rosenberg is already just flat. Van Chancellor. Van Chancellor has the baby. <laughs> That's the best. You're Steve. If you name your baby Van Chancellor, there's going to be a lot of confusion because my first baby is going to be Cam Chancellor and I want them to be friends. <laughs> Van and Cam. That's I think everything for the show, unless we've overlooked anything else. It's the final 
freaking four. Uh, so check that out. We've got Final Four. We've got Challenge Cup. We've got a, a draft. And then we've got a season. There's so much to be excited about. This is the absolute uh, best time to be a fan of the game. So be on the lookout. We will be here for you. But until all of that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of WNBA Nation. Until we see you again, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.